It's so great to see all of you. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you very, very much. Miss Pat, if you would pull up the thank you. You already know. I don't even got to remind you anything. You probably know better than I do. Um, it is Palm Sunday. It is a blessing to see all of you today. As we know, Palm Sunday leads into Resurrection Sunday. And so I want to bring up one more time what our Resurrection Seed offering will be going towards. And that is our Community Center Project. And all of our Resurrection Seed offering will be going to that. And once again, phase one is our playground, swings, and signage and benches, okay? And so the goal for that is $30,000. That is the goal. That is what we need to go ahead and get that project started and completed. And as I said last time, as soon as that money comes in, we, are, we already have a company on standby. We're shooting them a call, giving them the money, and they're going to get us going and set up. So I'm highly excited, and that is what our money will be going towards because this is phase one of a very large kingdom-minded plan that is going to come to pass in the name of Jesus because his name is power. And I believe that when he gives us a vision and we honor his name and give it to him and we declare his name over it, it shall come to pass. And so I'm highly excited about what the Lord is doing in this church. I'm very encouraged. I love you guys and I love your hearts to serve. And I am honored and humbled to be the lead pastor and lead servant here at Crossroads World Outreach Center. And I'm so thankful that we are putting pride back into our name and we are truly looking to impact the globe for the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ms. Pat. Always on top of it. Um, will you guys please stand with me one more time as we pray before we get started today and look at the word of God and let him show us, teach us, and lead us and guide us. If you would, please raise your hands with me as we, or as we prepare to receive from the Father. Holy Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what this day symbolizes. That Jesus, this is the day you rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, openly declaring you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And now the plan was fully set into motion for you to redeem the world back into yourself. So King Jesus, we just thank you for what this day means to us, that we are able to remember you in this day, that this started everything. So Father God, we just thank you in this day. We thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray I would not speak a word unless it was led by you. I pray you soften hearts and minds in this moment to receive the word today. In your mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. Josh, will you bring me down just a little bit, man? I feel like I'm like echoing. Is that good? Good? A little bit? There we go. I think that's a lot better. Thank you, sir. And so today, I know today is Palm Sunday. Uh, but we're taking a bit of a different approach to today. Um, we're, we're not actually focusing on the fact of the triumphal entry, even though I do want to talk about it for a minute. Uh, we're taking a different look at it. But before we get to that, as you see the last lessons of Jesus, we're going to be covering a large span. So we're not going to spend too much time in one place, but we're going to walk through the story as it leads us to Easter. But I don't want to neglect the fact that it is is. Palm Sunday. So I just want to read first from John chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 12. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And it says this, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus 
when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, that they had done these things to him. So we're opening up, it's Palm Sunday, leading through, Jesus has just entered on the back of a donkey colt, and he's fulfilling scripture, Zechariah 9, 9, and he's showing them, openly showing them, I am who you thought I was, because before this point, Jesus was not openly declaring it to the people. And so instead of speaking words, he showed them by his actions, and he rode in fulfilling prophecy, and they welcomed him as king, and that is why it's called the triumphal entry, because he enters Jerusalem as the king, and the people welcome him as the king. So praise God that we have a king, not just a king, the king of all kings, the king above all kings. That is the God we serve. And just as he was victorious entering the city, I believe these last five lessons that he taught is teaching us to live the victorious life that he died for. And so we're going to look at the last lessons in the intimate setting and and the heavy pressure Jesus knew he was entering into. We are going to be looking at the last five lessons Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples to to copy him, to mimic him, to follow the example that he had set before them. But before that, I just want to give you a little timeline on the Holy Week. Since we are going to be picking up on Thursday, I just want to talk and touch on what happened on uh, Sunday through Wednesday. And so Sunday is the triumphal entry. The people welcome him as king. They declare he is king. He declares himself as the king and prophecy is fulfilled. And the plan is set into motion just a short week later. And then Monday, Jesus and his disciples are walking to the temple and there's a fig tree. It looks beautiful. It's a beautiful fig tree and Jesus goes, he's hungry and it bore no fruit and Jesus curses it. And he gives a warning to those who look good on the outside, but don't produce any fruit on the inside. And he was doing an open rebuke to the Jewish leaders in the synagogue who would reject him because they look great on the outside, but there was no fruit being bore on the inside. And so that same Monday, Jesus proceeds to the temple and he cleanses the temple. This is the time we see Jesus is flipping tables. Jesus is whipping people with cords. And Jesus drives people out because he was zealous for the house of his father. And then on Tuesday, Jesus and his disciples are going to the Mount of Olives and he passes the fig tree. And the disciples are like, what in the world happened to the fig tree? That's the same one that Jesus cursed. And Jesus teaches them the importance of faith. That faith must produce fruit. And that fruit is the evidence of your faith. It doesn't matter how well put together you are on the outside. It doesn't matter about your three-piece suit. It matters about the condition of your heart. What are you producing? And so Jesus then proceeds to go to the Mount of Olives and look over the city of Jerusalem. And he declares and prophesies the destruction of the city and the end of the age. So that happens on Tuesday. And something in my studying I found that was very encouraging about Wednesday. There's no report of Jesus doing anything on Wednesday. So what does that tell me? It's okay to rest. Because sometimes I feel my schedule and it's like I feel more important the more things that I'm doing. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is just like sit and rest. And so that just encourages me that Jesus and his disciples had an intimate time of rest. Just talking and relaxing. Y'all, Jesus relaxed. Like Jesus was a full blood man who got run out of energy and burnt out sometimes and he needed to rest. And so to me, it's highly encouraging to see that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords even needed to rest sometimes. Now we are picking up on Thursday and as Pastor Charlie so beautifully led us into the time of communion, 
Um, this is where we're picking up. Chapter 13 is where we will be starting. And this is in the midst of the Last Supper. And Jesus has his disciples gathered around him. So we're going to open the setting in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And it says this, Now before the Feast of Passover, Passover was on Friday, so we know this is Thursday. We know that Jesus died on Passover. He was the Passover lamb. And so John chapter 13 Starting verses 1 through 4 says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Could you imagine the stress Jesus was feeling in that moment when the Spirit of God said, it's the moment. It's time. It's time. Right? Because Jesus only moved as he felt the Spirit of God leading him to move. And so in that moment, he felt the Father and the Spirit tell him, son, this is the moment. It's tonight. It's happening. And so imagine Jesus' mindset shifting from just having a good time with his, as Pastor Charlie said, his buddies. They're having a good time, having a meal, and he feels the Spirit of God shift the atmosphere. So Jesus knows this is go time. This is what I have been preparing them for in these last days of me being with them. So that's where we are. Jesus is shifting his mindset. And I love this, and this is so encouraging. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end knowing that they were going to depart from him, knowing they were going to betray him, knowing they were going to deny his name, knowing these things that he was going to be betrayed and hurt and disappointed by his disciples. It said he loved them to the end. Even upon the cross, he loved them. And supper being ended, supper ends, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And so in that moment, Jesus, isn't it crazy that the moment that Jesus knows that all things have been put into his hands, he gets ready to serve. Not, I am now glorified so the whole world serve me. But he says, in this moment, I am being glorified. God is putting all things into my hands once again as king of the earth and the heavens. But he girds himself with a towel. It means he wraps a towel around his waist. And he gets down on his knees to serve his disciples. And so this is where we're going to pick up in the first lesson of Jesus. And we're starting in verse 5 and we're going through verse 17. This is the first lesson Jesus feels is, is important for the disciples to know before he Leaves them. Let's start in verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Right? Peter thought he was honoring Jesus. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again. So Jesus gets up, he gets done washing their feet, he gets up and he takes a seat again, right? Who in here knows that having a talk over a meal is one of the most intimate things you can do? 
Having a meal with someone is one of the most intimate things you can do. So Jesus gets up after serving them and he sits back at the table that they were just dining, having this time of intimacy and friendship and fellowship. He sits down again and he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so in this moment, lesson one is true servanthood. It's humility, it's honor, and it's love. Let's, let, let's look at what Jesus tells them shortly later in this conversation in verses 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so what is Jesus telling us in this moment? He just said that the Father has put everything back into his hands and then he humbles himself to get on his knees before his servants. So what does that tell me? That tells me that we are to humble ourselves to serve those who are lowly. You, you see what I'm saying? Because in the eyes of Christ, we are all the same. We are on an equal playing field. So we are to serve lowly those who society would consider to be under us. Below our feet, those who they would consider the outcast of society, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, does not get on his knees to be served, but to serve. And in that moment, it's humility. He teaches us that true servanthood first starts with humility. It's being willing to get down before those that society considers lesser than you to serve them. Secondly, I see this. It's Jesus calls us to honor those who are under us. He calls us to honor all people. Not only did he humble himself to get on his knees, and not only did Jesus humble himself to come to the earth in the form of a babe, but now he is kneeling before man in humility. And now he honors them by washing their feet. In this society, your feet were considered unclean. They were always covered in dirt. People wore sandals. They were filthy. You didn't touch another person's feet, and you didn't even really like to wash your own. So Jesus honors them. He gets on his hands and knees, and he honors them. And so what does that tell me? We are to honor all people. Honoring means to attribute worth to them. We value people. And so the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gets before his servants and he honors them. So we as his saints are to honor all people. And lastly, but I think is most importantly, we are to love those around us. We are to love those, but it's a radical love. If we see it said Jesus loved them to the end, knowing what they would do, knowing they would turn from him, knowing they would betray him, knowing they would hurt him. And Jesus loved them to the end. So what does that tell me? We are to love with a radical love. We are to love those when they hurt us, love those when they disappoint us, and love them to the end because that's the example that Jesus set for us. And so the first lesson Jesus teaches before he is to be betrayed and arrested is true servanthood. So if that's the first thing that comes to Jesus' mind, I think we need to take note that, remember, these are the last five lessons. Jesus is now thinking to himself, what are the most important things I need them to know when I leave? When I'm gone, they no longer have my instruction. They no longer have my guidance. They no longer have my example to follow. 
what do they need to know to face the hardships of life? And the first thing is true servanthood. And after Jesus teaches this lesson, it's crazy because he identifies the betrayer. So not only is he teaching them a lesson, he's now putting it into practice before their very eyes. Did you hear what I'm saying? Not only did he set the example, but he is living it out before their very eyes because he just washed Judas's feet. He just got on his knees, humbled himself, and honored, honored, honored. I need you to hear me. He honored the man who betrayed him. And not only that, he loved even him to the end. Did you notice when he said he loved them to the end? It doesn't name 11 disciples and leave out one. Even Judas did he love. Even Judas did he humble himself and honor him. So the example for us is what? Even when those who betray you, and some of you have that in your family right now, even when they betray you, even when they hurt you, even when they stab you in the back, we are to serve them by humbling ourselves, honoring them by serving and loving them even to the very end. And so then Jesus... He, he talks about, he identifies the betrayer, and Peter's like, God, I would never betray you, Jesus. Never betray you, Jesus. Never would I ever leave your side. I will die with you. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, will you? Will you die with me? Surely, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. Even knowing that Peter would deny him, he still loved them until the end. So he moves on, and the second lesson he enters into is one that has been speaking volumes to me because a lot of you right now are going through really hard situations where you have had loved ones who have passed away. I feel like that has plagued this church in the past 10 months. I have had friends my own age from high school passing away out of the blue. I feel like I have been surrounded by death in the past 10 months, and this right here has been so, not even encouraging, but filling me with hope. There's an indwelling hope in me because the second lesson and the second lesson Jesus teaches is hope in life and death. Hope in life and death. In John, he, we, we go over after he talks through in John chapter 14, starting in verse one. He says this, let, your, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What is he saying? He's saying, I am glorified with the father. In my father's house are many mansions place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, y'all, this is getting me excited. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And I love Thomas's response and Jesus's response, because he said, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas says, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is hope in life because no matter what you go through, Jesus Christ already went before you, walked the path, and prepared a place for you. And so when we have loved ones who die, when we have people who stab us in the back, it's not the end because the Father has gone to prepare a place for us. So no matter what happens in this life, we can have a hope for a time to come. So I feel like a lot of times, Christians, we don't understand where our hope lies, so we have none. It's not in this world. It's not what Jesus can do for you in this moment. It's not what Jesus is going to do for you 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. It's what he's already done and what he's prepared for you. 
And so no matter what happens in this church, no matter what we go through, there's a hope we can look to. So that means when people bite us and stab us in the back, when people turn on us, we don't have to dwell in that moment. We don't have to have a church split because someone's upset. We can look to our eternal hope. I believe someone said already this morning, keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus promised us that even though you will go through hardships and struggles, I am going to prepare a place for you. And better yet, he didn't say, find your way to me. He said, I'll come back and receive you unto myself. Verse 18, same, same chapter, chapter 14, verses 18 through 21 says this. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer. And the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What a beautiful mystery. He who has my, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what did Jesus say? He said, I won't leave you as orphans. So there is a hope in death because we will not be forsaken and our souls will not be lost. This is encouraging to those who have lost loved ones. That this is just to see you later. This is not a goodbye. You will be reunited with them once again because the Father has prepared a place for you. Jesus died for the purpose of preparing a place for you. Just imagine in your mind's eye that loved one. When you take your last breath or Jesus returns... And you open your eyes in eternity, and they're there waiting for you. Said, I've been waiting for you, and man, have you been missing out. Because listen, we don't have to be in despair and mourn. I understand mourning is good. It's natural. There's a mourning season. But that mourning must turn into joy when we know that that loved one is with Jesus Christ. There's no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. That cancer no longer exists. It's gone. And they are walking in the arms of the Father, abiding in his presence where nothing else matters. There is hope in death. And you will see them again because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he promised, I will not leave you as orphans. That is encouraging to me because I know my soul won't be left as an orphan. I won't be forgotten, nor will I be forsaken because he has already went before me and prepared a place, and he's waiting to receive me unto himself. There, there's a passage in the Psalms, in Psalm 73, that says this. He says this right here, and I love this because I think this just shows our God. It says, uh, Father, you have never left my right hand, and in life you have counseled me, and then you have received me unto glory. So what does that tell me? He never leaves us he never forsakes us. In this life, he guides us and leads us and he holds us by our right hand, which is a sign of strength. Whoever has your right hand is your strength. So he says, Jesus, in this life, you have been my strength. You have led me, you have counseled me, you have guided me. And not only did you lead me in this life, but once I took my last breath, you received me into glory. In this life and the next, we have hope in Christ Jesus. You are not alone. You will not be forgotten nor forsaken. Jesus goes on to say, the Father is revealed in himself. He is the image of the invisible God. And he says, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. So what does that tell me? Jesus, as we know, is God and personified. He is God in human form. Everything Jesus did is the heart of 
the Father. And so Jesus says, the Father is revealed in me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know what the Father is like? Look at Jesus. Lesson three. Lesson three. John chapter 14 Jesus, Jesus touches on this lesson twice, and you can tell that Jesus is trying to re, re, repeat, reassert himself, show them how important these are, because every single lesson he hits on twice in these next couple of chapters. And so lesson number three is the helper, receive and rely upon the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, starting in 15, says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. His commandments are his teachings. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you. What does that word say? Forever. He will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's that verse 18 again. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's look at verses 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so let's put ourselves in the seat of the disciples. You've been with Jesus for three years. The only time you've ever been without him was when he sent you out on, on your own missionary journey. And so Jesus is now telling you, I am going, but I'm giving someone to you. Imagine the despair in them hearing that Jesus is now leaving them. Think about who they were before Jesus. They were nobodies. They had no power. They had no authority. They were average, everyday people. And Jesus comes and he gives them this power and this authority. And Jesus says, I am leaving you. But listen, he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm giving you someone. I'm actually sending, it's actually better that I go so that I can send the Spirit to be your helper. Because when Jesus was here, he could only be in one place at one time. But when he went to the Father and sent the Spirit, the Spirit of God now permeates the entirety of the earth. He is our helper. He sends the helper to, listen to what it says, to all those who love him and keep his commands. His commands are his teachings. What are we looking at? His teachings says the spirit is the spirit of truth and this is what he does he leads us into all goodness he leads us into all godliness he leads us into righteousness and holiness he teaches us all things and brings all things to our remembrance imagine being the disciples after jesus goes and he he's crucified imagine their mindsets because let's be real we as humans are we tend to go back to what's familiar so Jesus knew when I go, they're going to be tempted to go back to the synagogue. They're going to be tempted to go back to Judaism. They're going to be tempted to go back to what they were doing before I came to them. And so in those moments, how many of us know what it's like to struggle? Everyone, you can raise your hand. We're a transparent church. Thank you. Everyone knows what it is like to struggle. And in those moments, the disciples were struggling. Was Jesus real? Did he, was he who he said he was? In those moments, the helper, the spirit of God brought to the remembrance everything he did, everything he said. And it applies for us today. The Holy Spirit of God is the helper to us that when we are struggling, we're going through hardships. We're going through seasons that make no sense. We lose loved ones because I use that example because so many of us have when it doesn't make sense in those quiet moments where you are hurting, 
where you are struggling and you are human, in those moments, if we sit and calm ourselves to hear, the Holy Spirit will be our helper and comfort us and give us peace and bring to our remembrance those amazing memories we had. All the ways that God intervened and acted on our behalf. That's the spirit of God that has been given to us. That in our hardest moments, he comes to us and he comforts us and he helps us. He's our advocate. He fights on our behalf. Praise the Lord. Let's look at chapter 16. Jesus is Jesus' second teaching on the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 13. This is continuing the same line of thought that Jesus has been on. And it's just following conversation. Nothing has shifted in the way they're seated. They're still at the table. Jesus is pouring into them what he knows they need to carry on to this next season. Starting in verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So let's pause and see why the spirit was sent. He will convict the world of sin. Okay, right, he points out sin. He convicts our hearts. He draws us unto the Father by showing us what we're doing. And of righteousness and of judgment. Well, why of righteousness? Because Jesus was the ultimate example of righteousness. And now he will no longer be with you. So who is going to guide you in the steps of righteousness? It's the Spirit of God. And he comes alongside us and he guides us in the path of righteousness and of judgment. Why judgment? Because the ruler of this world is judged for what he has done. So the Spirit of God comes to convict of sin to show righteousness, to guide us in righteousness, to judge the world. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. So what does this tell me about the Spirit of God? He declares to us the things spoken by the Father. And so in that quiet time when you're struggling and you're hurting and you know a hard season is coming, that surgery is coming up that you're terrified about, those illnesses that you have are, are going haywire and you're having to go to the hospital constantly. What does this tell me? It tells me the Spirit of God is the helper. And in those quiet moments when you quiet yourself to listen, there's something the Father wants to speak to you through the Spirit. And in those moments, he builds us up and he restores us and he renews us for the season to come. And so what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? He said, receive him, but not just receive him, rely upon him. Because without the Spirit of God, you cannot follow in the path that I have for you. And so we as Christians today, if we neglect the Holy Spirit, if we deny the Holy Spirit, no wonder we're living, living in defeat. No wonder we're not living in places of righteousness and godliness and holiness. We can't function that way unless we receive and rely upon the Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus was telling them life is about to get so hard. Think about what happens after Jesus dies. They run, man. They get out of there. They go and they flee to their families and they go into hiding for a while together because they're terrified that, that the leaders of the Jewish synagogue are going to come after them. So Jesus tells them, I know life is about to get so hard for you. 
I know once I leave, you're going to be lost. You're going to be scared. You're going to be afraid. But he says, I send someone to you that will help you receive and rely upon the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 31, Jesus makes this statement. He says, arise, let us go from here. So we know that they get up from the dinner table and they start to walk. Well, who knows where they're going? Who knows where the story ends? The Garden of Gethsemane. And so he says, arise, let's go. And so they're on the path to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where we pick up our uh, lesson number four. And it's abide in the vine. And I love Jesus because he's the greatest teacher who ever lived. Think about where he gave this analogy. In a garden. (laughs) There would have been vines and branches and everything around them. Jesus was the master teacher. Jesus knew when to give this because it would make sense in their minds to see the visual effect of what he was saying. So let's look at John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, going through verse 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he bears, that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Some of you are going through a pruning season, and can I tell you, that's actually an encouraging thing. It's because you're bearing fruit that he is now causing you, pruning you. Those, those, those testings, those times of trials that you are currently going through, those are good things. That's why James tells us to joy in the trials because it produces more fruit. And so we know directly from Jesus, Jesus says that when you bear fruit, you will be pruned. And it's not punishment. It's a beautiful thing. It causes room for more fruit to grow. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask What you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father, look at verse 8, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. And so they're on their way to the garden. They arrive in the garden, and Jesus, in his masterful way, brings up a parable out of nowhere about the vine and the branches. So I, I believe he was holding the vine. He says, You see this vine? He said, This is a vine, but I'm the true vine. You see how the branches are connected. They're not, they're not associated with the vine. Branches are not associated with the vine. They are connected to the vine. Everything they have, any resources, any source of nu- nutrients that they have is from the source coming through the vine. And so he looks at them and he says this. He says, as I am the vine, you are the branches. And I believe Jesus probably broke a branch off and he probably looked at them and said, can this branch that is broken off bear fruit? And what would they say? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so Jesus looks at them. He says, it's the same for you. You as a branch, if you do not remain connected to me, you can do nothing. The works you have seen me do and the works you have done yourself, unless you remain in me and I in you, you will not be able to do anything that you once did and nothing that I have called you to in the future. So what does that mean for us today? That means that our connection to Christ has to be daily. Our connection to Christ has to be a daily example that we walk in because everything we need is in Christ Jesus. That peace you need is in Christ Jesus. That comfort you need in this season, that's in Christ Jesus. 
The power you need to press forward is in Christ Jesus. And so unless we remain as branches intimately intertwined and connected to the true vine, we will not be able to bear fruit. Peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control, these beautiful things that are produced by being connected to the vine, if you are not experiencing them, it's because you are not connected daily to the source of all good things. So Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, life is about to get really hard for you. And I love Jesus because Jesus never sugarcoats anything. What we're about to look at is Jesus says, the way they hated me, they're going to hate you. The servant is not greater than the master. The same way they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But if you remain connected to the vine, you will bear much fruit. Do you understand? Being connected to Jesus is a promise that even in your hardest seasons, even in your hardest situations, no matter what you go through, if you remain connected to him daily, you will bear fruit. Do you want to know how you can glorify the Father? Bear fruit. Verse 8 clearly tells us in order to glorify God upon this earth, your life must bear fruit. And they're in the garden. And after Jesus just taught being connected to the vine, he goes into his next segue. Let's look at verses 15 through, sorry, chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, listen to what he's saying in verse 4. But, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, what does that mean? That means they're coming. You may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And so Jesus, just what? He straight up tells them, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to, be, you're going to enter into tribulation. You're going to face these things. He even says people will kill you and think that they are serving God. Huh. Uh, Saul, Paul, you know what I'm talking about? And so they, they were persecuting them and killing them. Because they thought they were bringing service to God. Because what did he say? Whoever hates me actually hates the Father. And who doesn't know me doesn't truly know the Father. And so Jesus, after talking about being remain, remaining attached to the vine, he goes into this time of what? Just laying it out before them. Jesus did not want them to be caught by surprise when they were persecuted, when they were harmed, and they faced hardship. So what does that tell me today? Do not be 
alarmed when you face hardships. But the only way to be sustained through the hardships is to be connected to the source. So Jesus looks at them directly after teaching them to remain connected to him. And he says, remain connected to me. Oh, but also you're going to go through these horrible things. But as long as you remain connected to me, I will sustain you. Sustaining doesn't always look like wealth and health and riches. Sometimes it looks like having peace in the midst of chaos. Sometimes it looks like being comforted in the midst of disaster. But he is the source and he promises, if you remain connected to me, the true vine, you will produce much fruit. Lesson number five. Chapter 16, starting in verse 16, going through verse 24. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. So, right, so this looks confusing to people. A little while and you will not see me, right, because Jesus is going to be crucified. And a little while and you will see me because I go to my Father. What is he saying? He's saying that when you die, you will be reunited with me. In just a little while, because time is not a concept to God. He's outside of time. So Jesus says, a little while, and you will see me. Why? Because I go to the Father to prepare a place for you. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while. Y'all, I'm just going to be honest. I would have definitely been like the disciples. What did Jesus just say? I don't understand nothing of what this man is saying. That some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves what I said? A little while and you will now see me not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. How many mothers can say amen? Wow, that was way quieter than I thought. Okay, I experienced my wife giving childbirth, and that was horrifying. Amen. That junk was scary. Oh, my goodness. I about passed out like seven times. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no <laughs> Jesus, help me. She no longer remembers the anguish, which is true. I remember when that baby came and they put that baby on her chest. My wife wasn't screaming. She, wasn't, she was smiling so big. And in that moment, even though what she went through was traumatic and horrible, a moment came where she felt true, pure joy. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. Praise God, we will see him again. And your joy, no one will take from you. That's a promise. Your joy, no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. He's saying, you won't question me anymore, because as you see me, you will know. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Well, why did he say up until now you've asked nothing in my name? Because he is openly declaring, I am the king and I have been glorified with the father. And just as the father has power, I now have the same power. So what is he saying? I and the father are one. What is the song we just saying? Jesus' name is what? Power. 
There's power, power, wonder-working power in the name of Jesus. And all, of, all power and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. The Father has glorified the Son. What does that mean? That means he has risen him and exalted him in the same place, seated at the right hand of the Father. And now the Son is over all. This is the declaration of the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. His name is Power. So Jesus says, now pray in my name because all authority on heaven, in heaven, and on earth has been given to me that my will may be done. But there's something I need us to understand about praying in Jesus' name. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not a heal-your-family scheme. It's not a scheme to get what you want because Jesus is not a genie. What Jesus meant when he said, pray in my name, let's put ourselves in the seat of a disciple again. The disciples intimately knew Jesus. They knew, knew what Jesus would do, and they knew what Jesus would not do. So when we pray in his name, our prayer must align with who we know him to be, which means we must intimately know him. And it means we must pray according to what we know he would do. Praying for a Corvette, probably not. Praying for peace, yes. Praying for seven-figure income? Mm, maybe not. Praying for comfort for your family when someone passes away? Absolutely. And the thing about it is Jesus said, when you pray in my name, it shall be done. So when we pray according to his name, now let me make this clear. We don't know if healing one of our lost, one, lost loved ones is in his will. And so for us just to say, my loved one is sick, in Jesus' name be healed, we don't know if that's in his will. But when we pray in his name according to who he is, a lot of the time that looks like comfort, peace, joy in the midst of chaos, self-control, gentleness, meekness, and kindness. A lot of the times when we pray in Jesus' name, we should really be praying for him to produce fruit in us because he is divine. And so instead of praying to Jesus based upon what we want, we need to pray to him based upon who he is. And so he looks, yo, this is right before he is betrayed, so we need to see what he is saying. He looks at them, Pastor Betty, and he says, Betty, pray in my name based upon who you know me to be, based upon my character, based upon my attributes, based upon what you've seen me do, pray in my name. And so he looks at them right before he's about to depart from them. He says, pray in my name. And... It says in, in chapter 17, let's look at chapter 17. This is what he says. It says, Jesus spoke these words. All right, he just got done teaching lesson number five to pray in his name because he has all the power and authority. And when we pray, we must pray in his name. And verse, uh, chapter 17, verse one, he says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, so Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he gets done teaching, right? He's done teaching. He knows that any minute now he's going to be betrayed and arrested any minute now. So he teaches these five crucial lessons, which I pray you take notes because those lessons will call you, cause you to live the victorious life in Christ Jesus, the life that he died for. So Jesus goes into a time of prayer, and I want to look at the prayer he prays for us. John chapter 17, this is our closing. John chapter 17. Um, Auntie, will y'all get ready to come play Hosanna for us to close us out? John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. You ready? I love this. There's two things that he prays for. I do not pray for these alone. So he's not only thinking about the disciples. 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. (laughs) Through our radical unity, the world will know that, that Jesus Christ was sent in the name of the Father. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That's that hope again. Look at that. That's hope again. Father, I desire. Yo, that's Jesus talking about you. I need you to understand that Jesus is looking through the timeline of history and he says, Father, I desire a longing, a deep longing that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. All of your lost loved ones are beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. If that's not hope, I don't know what is. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, the world has not, has not known you, but I have known you. And these things, these have known that you sent me and have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love which you love me may be in them and I in them. These are the two things Jesus prayed for. Radical oneness with the Holy Trinity for each individual. That's union. That is being truly connected to the vine where nothing can separate you. That is union where Christ Jesus lives inside of you. You walk with him every single day. He prayed, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, I pray that we will be in them. Each individual believer, everyone to come, that we would radically live inside of them and transform every aspect of their life. And number two is he prayed for radical unity. That each one of us in this church, that each one of us in the church of Jesus Christ would walk in radical unity with one another. Because when you and I truly walk in unity, people will follow. When you and I truly walk in unity, people will see that Jesus Christ truly came and died because we will show that what he died for, we truly believe. Will you please stand with me as, we, as, as I pray and then we go into a time of worship to finish off. King Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are victorious. We thank you that you give us everything we need in every season. We thank you that you are the source in the midst of hardship that you give us peace and comfort and joy. And Lord God, you produce meekness and kindness and gentleness in us, Father. Jesus, we thank you for these five lessons. And I pray that we would truly be a people who love you and keep your commands, that we would walk in true servanthood, Father, that we would humble ourselves to serve, that we would honor those the world considers lowly, and that we would love those around us with a radical love, a love to the very end, Father. I just pray we would walk in true servanthood. And King Jesus, I just pray we would walk in your hope, a hope for life and a hope in death, that even though death is the largest fear of all humanity, that we know you have conquered it, and that there is a hope after this life. So we walk in hope today in this life and the life to come. Father, we thank you for who you are, for a hope you produce inside of us. Y'all just pray in his name, just pray in his name. Just thank him for what he's doing. If you need something and you know it's according to his will, who he is, pray in his name right now.
Lord Jesus, I pray over every single person in this room that we would remain connected to the vine because you are the source of everything that is good, Father. You are the source of everything that we truly need. So, Father, in these hard seasons that, that our church family is going through of loss and turmoil and some chaos, King Jesus, I just pray peace in your name. I pray peace in the name of Jesus, and I pray comfort over those who've lost loved ones in the name of Jesus. And it says, if you pray in my name, it shall be done. So I'm expecting comfort and peace to come into your lives right now. In your mind, in the name of Jesus, I believe that right now in the name of Jesus, because all authority and power has been given to him. His name is power. At his name, the demons flee. At his name, people are healed. And King Jesus, we pray this in your mighty name. Worship team, will you lead us in that song? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. God, we lift you up. Hosanna, 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 Father God. Lord, we thank you for going to Calvary. God, we thank you for setting the example for us to be a true servant, to know that we shall be joined with you again, to give us hope, to give us strength, and to give us peace, Father God. We thank you for the name Jesus the name above all names, the name that makes demons tremble, the name that, the name that makes fear leave, the name that makes depression leave, the name that makes anxiety leave, the name that sets the captives free, that name Jesus. We thank you for who you are. God, thank you for allowing us to serve you this day. Thank you, Father God, for setting the example for us to be a true servant to serve you, Father God. Father, I pray and ask today that you will go with this church today, Father God, and bless us, Father God. Keep your hand over them, Father God. Lord, I pray and ask that you will give them peace. Give them strength when they need it. Give them comfort when they need it. God, go with them and bless them, Father God. Now, Father God, I pray and ask you will bless this church indeed, Father. Enlarge our territories and keep your hand of protection about us, oh God. 
Keep us from evil that it harm us not and let every single thing that we do, let us give you praise. God, we want to glorify you and I thank you, Father. I thank you for dying on the cross so that each and every person here has the opportunity to know who you truly are. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.